Maybe this is just the way it works. Maybe the distance is necessary. Maybe more than ever now, they need me to be larger than life. I only wish I felt larger than life. Computer, delete last sentence. Welcome to Delta Flyer. I'm Thad Hate. I'm Stuart Hollis. And this week, we are going to talk about The Cloud. Ooh. That's right. <laughs> Season 1, Episode 5. Our synopsis from TV Guide. Voyager flies into an unusual nebula, which they discover is a living organism, now injured by the ship's intrusion. I mean, okay, but that sort of... I feel like the fact that they discover that it's a living thing should shouldn't be in the synopsis. Yeah, that came what like halfway through the episode. Yeah, about. Take? Yeah. That said, it's a standard Star Trek trope, so like I'm sure plenty of people saw it coming. Uh, I did not, but I'm not nearly as much of a Star Trek nerd as you are. It's not even the only season one episode where they investigate something that turns out to be a life form. But it's the first season one episode it is the first season one episode where that happens yes there you go but uh memory alpha says with energy reserves nearly depleted voyager investigates possible resources inside a nebula which as it turns out is not really a nebula that seems a little bit better way of uh, of summing it up yeah i think so yeah so i really enjoyed uh the way this episode starts with janeway's personal log Yes, I enjoyed it as well. Uh, she's monologuing a bit, and she's also having a, like, it's like a crisis of uh, leadership, I guess? It's not a crisis of confidence. No. Uh, but yeah, I suppose like a crisis of leadership, and like just in terms of like how to lead. Yeah, because she's in a situation that is like completely unprecedented. Uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose... <laughs> Yeah, we'll we we will at least once or twice in this episode and for every episode forever violate the temporal time uh, violate the temporal prime directive. But she's not the first captain of Starfleet to be stranded in the Delta Quadrant, but the first one with her own show. Yes, and as far as she knows, at this time she's the first one. Heck, I mean, as far as Starfleet knows, even forever, she's the first one. No, I'm sure once they get back, she tells them all about it. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, Because, it, I mean, you know, she, she's keeping those logs for a reason. They are... Yeah. It's not just it's not just a dear diary. Today, Chakotay taught me how to find my spirit animal. And if you are in fa have, in fact, never watched Voyager and are watching it as we go along, you'll understand what we're talking about in a couple years. What, season four? I want to say five. It, maybe it was the five, six, or the four, five. It was, a, it was a, I think it was a season ender opener. Okay, okay. I'm on it. Assuming we're both th thinking about the same thing. How could we possibly be thinking about different things? Because maybe my memory's faulty and I'm thinking of, a, of the wrong thing that has sparked the right thing in your brain or vice versa. That's possible. I'm talking about Equinox. I don't know names. Anyway, it was season, it was, I was correct, it's the cliffhanger between the fifth and sixth season. Alright, fine, be all correct, <laughs> jerk. Hey, and it's also directed by David Livingston, who directed this episode. Okay. Dude, does it, does David Livingston jump out, 
or is notable for any well, other reason? Uh, because we've recorded episodes out of co- out of order, we will have talked about him in the future, which is also the past. Yes, uh, David Livingston was the director of um, Learning Curve. And we talked about that. Oh, okay. In that okay. episode, he. Oh, is wow. Okay, so the, like, yeah. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, when we get to the end of the season, yes. But anyway, yes. no. David Livingston. Uh, I won't go into huge detail because we will talk about him more mm-hmm. when we talk mm-hmm. about Le- in Learning Curve. But he has directed. He is possibly. I can't remember now. He's possibly directed the most episodes of Star Trek, or second most. Anyway, he's directed episodes of all of the uh, 90s and... Everything other than original series and... And Discovery. And, uh, Enterprise. Yeah, he, no, he did Enterprise. He has not. He did not do Discovery. Okay, so no Discovery, no original series. Okay. Correct. So he's like the most directoriest yeah. director that And he's ever done a lot of really good episodes. Yes, I remember that in the future, I had said, <laughs> <laughs> I ha- I will have said, there it is, that <laughs> the fact that he has, because he's in the past, directed so many episodes uh, allows him this ability to almost shape the show himself because he can I have to imagine that he would be able to kind of throw his weight around to say okay no listen guys yeah I know what I'm talking about because you keep paying me to do this so yeah if you watch the special features I haven't on the blu-rays and dvds he's a familiar face I know you have okay I <laughs> <laughs> like all these Blu-rays sitting on a shelf, and I don't even... I, I'm i trying to remember the last time I turned on my Xbox to, to play to Blu-ray, because I don't have like a dedicated Blu-ray player, I just have an Xbox. Mm. I'm trying to remember the last time I turned it on. So, for me, I don't watch a lot of special features for most things, but okay. as our listeners have probably determined, I like Star Trek a bit more than I like, well, most anything. Right. And so I do watch Star Trek special features. Okay. Well, here's a special feature for you. Let's talk about the episode. Okay. Let's talk about the episode. So Janeway has her crisis of something, some sort of crisis. She's having, you know, she's dealing with the fact that they're all here in the Delta Quadrant and she's not entirely sure how to lead the ship. And... Right, because of the whole distance with being a captain and all that. Right, and this particular story element, it's not really a plot line, but this particular story element never gets resolved in this episode of her trying to find her place on the ship. I mean, obviously she knows she's the captain, and she recognizes she's the captain, mm-hmm. but how to captain i suppose is the is is where she's at right now is do i captain as i have been taught and as i am comfortable do i need to become more personable with the crew is that what they need in order to operate at their best is that what 
I need. Um, so she she has this this conflict going on, and I'm pretty. Like, it never gets resolved in this episode. Yeah, that's fair. Well, she gets her spirit animal. It does, but that and that leads me back to she's wandering the ship, giving her personal log, and she ends up in. I guess it's the mess hall now. Was it always the mess hall? That yeah, mean... it was always the mess hall. It seems like it. it I, I made this. Co- I made this point last episode when I thought that it, like the whole thing, was her private dining room. Mm-hmm. That it was way too big to be her private dining room. It's way too small to be the ship's mess hall. I believe it was the officers' mess originally, and then they just okay. sort of turned it into the everybody's thing because it's where the galley was. Okay. Okay. It's it still seems way too small, especially when you know on Star Trek, like ninety five percent of the crew are officers. <laughs> it sure seems that way sometimes on Star Trek, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean that's why we get such great episodes like uh, oh goodness, what was that? Uh, Next Generation episode, the Lower Decks. Yes, in which they were all officers. Okay, that's fine, but <laughs> not like officer officers. Yeah, they were all they were all instance. Yeah. Yeah, which is like, you know, and yes, yes offense, Harry Kim, which is like the, you know, the lowest level, least officeriest officer that has ever officered. Yeah. Honestly, I would think that in most situations, a non-com gets more respect than an ensign. Oh, definitely. And I would, in Star Trek, that is absolutely true for the single non-commissioned officer we see in all of Star Trek. Yeah, I mean, he can turn rocks into replicators. <laughs> yeah. So we get to the mess. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harry and Tom are having some sort of food. Food-like substance, anyway. <laughs> yeah, some sort of food-adjacent thing. <laughs> and, uh, Janeway's making a conversation with them, and then she wanders away to go find coffee, and... Uh, Harry is talking to Tom to say we should have invited her to sit down with us and Tom's saying no you're you're dumb and an ensign and you're dumb and that's not how these things work and Harry says well who does she who is she supposed to get chummy with Chakotay she's supposed to get chummy with Chakotay yeah he's her executive officer that's mm-hmm. in this scenario where she can't just I don't know. Do they have a term for their internet, as it were? I don't think so. Maybe the okay. optical data network. Maybe. Because like, that went like, down in this episode, and Kim didn't notice. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but like, however it was that Picard would have chatted with some other captain. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting thing, because I don't think they ever talked about that, and they don't really... Cause the concept of social media didn't exist. Right. Hmm. So Spacebook didn't exist yet. <laughs> right. I mean, they had uh, subspace communications, and you do sometimes see that where they'll be, you know, mm-hmm. talking to somebody. But yeah. No, I don't know. They're basically just... Mostly just messages sent. Like, not... But not like... Yeah. Not like it... Not like we would think today with, you know, our Twitters and our Snapchats. <laughs> right. So, I mean, you know, you're more of the expert than I. Do we see many episodes in Next Generation or DS9 with P- 
Picard and Cisco, respectively, corresponding either over video or text with other captains so that they can, like, because that's, you know, their new professional community. Like, occasionally, Mm -hmm. but not that often. You do, when they, whenever they encounter a ship with another captain that especially sure. if it's one they know you will definitely mm-hmm. see them like chatting together of course but yeah no not not all that often right generally from my recollection they're interacting with their senior officers and their bridge crew yep right which is like so you know proving harry's point they should have invited her to sit down because they are the bridge crew. They are her senior officers, no matter how long, how low rank they may be with an ensign and a lieutenant at the table. They are the bridge, you know, they're part of her bridge crew. They are part of her senior staff. It's still weird to me that Harry's a senior officer, but yes. Uh, yeah. You and me both, man. I mean, goodness. Harry and it's King. not like because the other operations officer died in the abduction because Harry came on as the operations officer when they were still in the Alpha Quadrant. Uh, yeah, it's 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 ridiculous. But we we can't dive into that in every episode. Why not? That's fair. <laughs> it's our show. That's true it is. So, yeah. And then we have the interesting thing with Janeway and Neelix, where Neelix tells her that it would be inappropriate for her to order replicated coffee. Yeah, before we get to that, though, we get the weird thing where he's complimenting her lipstick, and she's kind of like... It was a very, very strange interaction between the two of them. Yes. I did like Janeway's face as his better-than-coffee substitute sort of glopped into the... (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But leading up to that, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, I I understand his argument that if everyone is on replicator rations, then the captain should lead by example and take whatever it is he has made for lunch as her lunch, rather than going to the replicator and asking for I don't know, like a big old cheeseburger. Or something with a side of fries but coffee that to me feels no different than any crew person opting to use their replicator ration to get themselves like a chocolate mousse for dessert after having whatever neelix had served up yeah like allocating their replicator rations instead towards pleasures and desserts and things of that nature like that also they're her replicator rations she can use them how she wants as long as she is only using her rations right and she's the captain yeah i mean could you imagine picard giving up his tea earl gray hot (laughs) no no i cannot imagine that at all exactly Okay, so after the, the mess hall interaction, Jamie gets cuts the bridge, and she's chatting with Chakotay because that's who she can be chummy with. She was, with like, and can... super into that conversation, too. Yes. And I... I think this I... is the episode where the Janeway-Chakotay shippers first get their material. 
I disagree with them 100%. There is no Jacote Janeway. I would disagree with you, sir, and I believe that Chakotay Janeway is absolutely correct, and Chakotay 7 was a travesty. There is no Jane-Tay or Chakotay. Chakotay. It would be Chakotay. You're probably right. I'm sure it has an actual name, because there's, I'm sure there's thousands of fics written about it. No, because... Janeway is captain through and through, and she would never, ever, ever with her first officer. Kate Mulgrew agrees with you, which is why it didn't happen. Boom. Anyway. So, yes, she's way into this conversation. (laughs) And Jacote throws a little shade on Carl Jung. (laughs) More than a little. We're taught that an animal guide accompanies us through life. Basically, it's what Carl Jung thought he invented when he came up with his active imagination technique in 1932. Carl Jung? Carl Jung. Not Carl? It's Carl. Oh, Carl Jung. Jung. Okay. But I think Chakotay... So, interestingly, Chakotay later will pronounce Gauss correctly when he says the he's crew is almost done like degaussing the hole. correctly. He says Gauss. Yeah, he... Okay, he's more correct than will be said as we have discussed. <laughs> will have been said. No, 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 no. Will be said as we have discussed. I think I'm pretty confident in getting my tenses right on that one. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. When... When Crewman Chell is using the little handheld, like, basically, like, using, like, the electronic toothbrush to, as he says, degauss, but he means degauss, the, 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 uh, the transporter. Mm. Yeah. Anyway. You're right. You're right about yeah. that. But no, I actually have in my notes that Chicote almost says it right. I had it. I had it down that he said it right. I I re-listened to it. I don't know five or six times, and I just ultimately decided that it was certainly more right than wrong, and I would just give it to him. Considering the fact that so many people pronounce it completely wrong, yeah. I mean, I know for the longest time I certainly did back when I was playing Descent Two. Oh no, I've always said it. Like back in the day when uh, CRT monitors had the degauss button, I've always said yeah. it that way. Gauss. What? You said it Gauss. Yeah. Really? Who taught you? No one. I looked at the word and thought, oh, that looks like Gauss. Huh. I looked at that word and just assumed it was gauze. Playing Descent 2 with the gauze rifle? Heck yeah. And then it turns out it's the, ga- it's, it's the Gauss rifle. No, see, it was a rifle cool. that was made out of gauze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it shoots bandages at the person to, like, you know, bind up the wound they just caused. And this is where English is weird, because obviously, because it would make sense for Gauss and Gauss to rhyme. Well, not rhyme, but uh, have the same vowel sound, because they're spelled the same. Right, so anyway. (laughs) Chakotay throws shade on Carl Jung. I missed that, but okay. He was talking about how, and he refers to them as Native Americans. And they're spirit animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's talking about how, and this is some sort of thing that Carl Jung came across, like, you know, like pretended to invent, I think he said. Ah, uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. When in actuality, we've been doing it for hundreds of years. 
Right, yeah, yeah. So I noticed mm-hmm. uh, in that, and I wonder if this was just because it was the 90s, so this wasn't part of the zeitgeist, but Janeway <laughs> says to Takote, you strike me as a bear type. Which, to me... You're I, thinking... I, yeah. <laughs> I can't no, not hear the d- the double entendre there. I don't see the double entendre at all. I re- I real I understand like what like to what you are referring, but Chakotay has no beard. He doesn't have a big old belly, and there's like no little you know lackey following him around or anything. I I don't. <laughs> there's no joke to be had there. Mm, I wonder if how how he thinks about honey. Okay, that one I don't get. Don't explain it to me right now. But we can, I was just we can... making a bear in general joke, as in, like, Winnie the Pooh likes honey? Never mind. Do actual bears like honey? Yes. But, okay. Well, actual bears, they, yeah, the, the, the trope came from Enough somewhere. Said. But actual bears generally actually prefer the honeycomb and the, and the bee larva. But. So, at one quarter impulse, it would have taken them give or take, three and three quarter to four hours to travel 64 million kilometers. Mm, I'm glad you're doing the math. Full impulse is um, one quarter of the speed of light, which I think we have brought up, not will have brought up. Uh, Yes, because we talked about it in Parallax. With Ben, yes. Yes. So one quarter impulse would be one sixteenth the speed of light. The speed of light is 299 blah 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 300 meter 300 million meters per second. Mm-hmm. So, yes. About 4 hours, 3 and a half to 4 hours to go 64 million kilometers. And based on how it was filmed, it seems like Janeway is just like standing there on the bridge that whole time. Once again we're getting into uh, Voyager's technobabble not being internally consistent with the numbers. Yeah. Well, that's Star Trek in general. It just irritates me. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Because they like they put out these technical manuals, and they and there's Memory Alpha, which I suppose at the time that Voyager was made maybe didn't exist, but the tech technical manual sure as heck did. The technical manuals certainly did. I don't think Memory Alpha existed yet. I don't think wikis were a thing yet. Yeah, but the technical manuals sure as heck existed, and the technical manuals would have told you how fast impulse and warp speed and all that jibber-jabber is. Yeah, I had the TNG technical manual back at this time when this episode aired. Uh, Right, so, I I mean, come on now. Like, a little bit later in the episode, Neelix and Kess are in the mess hall, and we see the first real moment of, like, actual genuine romance between the two of them. Yeah, that's true. He's saying, like, you know, like, This ship is the match of any vessel within a hundred light years. At warp nine, that's 38 minutes. Yeah. But, oh well. I think you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit. <sighs> I can't. <laughs> so, I wonder, how the heck can you drink holographic wine? I was wondering that, too. Do you taste it? But it's made up of force fields and light. Right, so here's so here's a question, and now we're getting into sort of like deeper underlying stuff that I don't 
I, I don't have any knowledge of or had hadn't like hit my brain until four and a half seconds ago. Do our taste buds act? I mean, it, it, it has to be like a chemical reaction, right, between whatever's in the food or drink and the taste buds on our tongue. Like that's what generates taste. It can't just be. It has to be a chemical reaction, right? I mean, I would imagine. I don't. I'm not a tasteologist. Right. No. Exactly. I mean, who is really? Uh, I'm so. Sure. Oh, of course. Some grad student somewhere is slaving away in a lab, preparing their thesis statement, which gives me two something else I'm going to talk about. Okay, so if you understand the science of tasting, please send us a tweet. Tell us how wrong we are. Yeah, no, definitely do. And we'll get you on on a later holograph, uh, holodeck-heavy episode so you can tell us about how wrong the crew is. Being like, oh, this this holographic cheese is delicious. So, my thought on this is... Yeah. Until Paris, like, straight up says it's holographic wine. We have been told multiple times that the re- that the holodecks are also function as replicators. In that they actually create and they, cre- mm-hmm. they convert energy into matter and vice versa. So, I had always thought that anytime they ate on the holodeck, it was just replicated by the computer on the spot. It was replicated wine inside a holographic glass. But then it would still is what give you Harry... were is what you is what you were saying. Yeah, but if it okay. was replicated wine, it would still give Harry heartburn. Yes. Now, okay. I'm just sorry. I'm having trouble with Harry being such a huge wimp about the whole like I don't like to drink wine this late. And how freaking creepy is the fact that Tom Paris made this program with all the like creepy people? Yeah. I liked that Taurus called him out on it. Paris. Did you program this guy? Yeah, why? He's a pig, and so are you. No, I appreciated that a lot. Uh, Especially given, you know, future knowledge. Taurus takes, takes no gruff off nobody. Yeah. Yeah. I liked I liked Chakotay's line where he says that Bolana's the only person I know who tried to kill their spirit animal. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed that a lot, too. But... Getting back to our first time at the little French bar bistro. Chez Sandrine. Thank you. Um, Which will feature heavily for the first couple seasons. I remember this. Yes, yes, yes. Or I will remember this. You will have remembered. Oh, dear. (laughs) Uh, I I double-checked. There are no references to Gaunt Gary. Outside of Voyager. It is not an actual character from 1953 Chicago. Or if it is, it's not one that is well known at all. I feel like at this point someone somewhere would have tracked that person down. <sighs> See, what it is is Gaunt Gary was like some guy that the writers, you know, that the writer had heard about but wasn't famous. Or I don't, I'm making this up. I'm sure he's completely made up. Uh, yeah, maybe it was actually Thin Theodore. Ooh, I like it. <laughs> yeah, or like a Macy and Emilio in... But 1953 Chicago, I mean, what the heck was happening in 53 Chicago? Like, like he would he would have done a much better job picking, say, like, 1933 Chicago when Capone was... Uh... Yeah, yeah. Or was Capone earlier than that? Was Capone closer to 23? When was Prohibition? It was the... Uh, it was the 20s. It started, I believe, in, like, 
1919 and went through... Okay, so 1923 Chicago would have been... Okay, so 1923 Chicago would have been better than 1953. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to look that up because I may have gone giving completely wrong information. Just thinking like like gangsters in Chicago and all that jazz, you know? And jazz. I know Uh, that Prohibition started not long after World War I and ended while FDR was in office. I distinctly remember that it was started by the 18th Amendment and ended by the 21st Amendment, yep. which sticks in my brain because of the ages of drinking. Yeah, it was 18 at the time. Yes, when it started, it was 18, and then when it ended, it was 21. No, I think when it ended, it was still 18. Shh. The 21 thing didn't happen until much later. Shh. Anyway, uh, 1920 to 1933. Okay, anyway. Interestingly enough, the 21 drinking age is not a federal law, but it is universal among all the states. Okay. So, wow, we're... I'd say we're like a 50-50 break on actually talking about the episode versus not talking about things that we think I would, about. I would point out, though, that at the very least, well, yes, Prohibition This is, is not complete... a record high for us. <laughs> no, and while Prohibition is completely not about Star Trek, most of our tangents have been Star Trek related, or Star it's Trek adjacent, true. at the very it's least. Very <laughs> Pulling us back to the episode, what the heck, like, how does one activate the whisper setting on the comm badges? Talk to Kim. Mr. Kim. That is a comment we would prefer not to hear from a senior officer on the bridge. It makes the junior officers nervous. Yes! Also, how awesome was that when Kim got the zinger in on Tuvok? Kim to Tuvok. In other words, you've never seen anything like it. Oh, I promise not to tell the junior officers. No, I hated that. Because Harry was like... Hey, it's a strong word. Harry was just so stinking proud of himself. I like just that. like. <laughs> Take that, Tuvok. You don't know what it is either. <laughs> I just really didn't like that at all. Well, so I guess the, I guess the computer recognizes if you speak to it in a sotto voice and like does it whispery. Well, no, be- <sighs> maybe I don't. Is sotto the right word? Yeah, sotto is the right word. S- uh, soda voce. Yeah, soda. But if there's two T's, how does that work? It's two T's and an E. And it's Italian. Whatever. We do get our first call out, and we should try, try, and fail valiantly. Try valiantly, fail terribly. I'm not sure how we're going to work that out. Uh, but we get our first call out for the number of photon torpedoes. Yes, that we do. And this is actually seen in the very beginning of a an infamous YouTube video. This exact scene. When Chicote says they have a complement of 38 photon torpedoes, and Janeway says, and no way to replenish them. Right, and uh, I'll throw that in as a link on the chapter mark again on this episode, just like we did last episode for Parallax. And you know what? Screw it. Just every time they mention photon torpedoes, I'll I'll link to that video again. We'll give them yeah dozens, dozens more views. It's a it's a that video is pretty gold. Uh, yeah, I love solid that gold. That and the some kind of supercutter, just the best. Yes. It- so this is something that has bothered me about Star Trek in like in all of its carnations. Mm-hmm. You it's mean incarnations? I, do I don't mean think incarnation. carnation is a word. It, well, I mean it, it is. is. It means a flower. It's a flower. It's a right. kind of flower. But well, because there's reincarnation <laughs> and incarnation. There's reincarnation. You're right. I'm wrong. 
You're not reflowered. Yeah. Carnation is not a word that I'm looking for. You can be deflowered. So this is something that has bothered me in all of Star Trek's incarnations. <laughs> that was a weird noise that I just made. <laughs> they can't just say ice storm. They have to say that this is like trying to fly through a Torin ice storm. Yeah, there is a that is a thing that Star Trek loves to do. I mean, along with the rule of three, which we haven't gotten any of yet in this season of Voyager. But, you know, the, the thing where it's, you know, like, you'll go down as one of the great scientists like Einstein, Copernicus, or Griebblorp. Right, yes. Yeah. No, you're, 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 that is definitely a thing that Star Trek does. You're not wrong. So anyway, on this episode, uh, I while the, you know, investigating some sort of an anomaly that turns out to be a living creature is certainly not a new thing, I do, in, I do appreciate how this episode goes about it and that they, once they realize that they have hurt the life form, they must go back and fix it. I, I really like that because that's just, that's what, you know, Starfleet is all about. Yeah, it is what Starfleet is all about. And not just Starfleet, it's what Janeway is all about. Yes, absolutely. She, and that's, is this like simultaneous like frustration and admiration with me when it comes to Janeway, where it's like, come on, just, 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 just get your stupid crew home, okay? Just get them home. Even the doctor wants to go home, and he's a stupid hologram, and we'll get back to him wanting to go home, and anyway. And just get him home, all right? Oh, God, fine, fine. Don't exploit the alien technology that's going to blow up a planet, fine. I do kind of see where Neelix is coming from. It's like, you know, don't, you know, go out of your way to these dangerous things. Right, but you have to think about, from a perspective, from the the two different perspectives, Neelix was a scrapper who was who was not necessarily living. I don't know if he was like permanently stationed there, but you know, like, this is my de- this is my debris cloud. And then you have the crew of Voyager who's coming from the Federation and Earth, and because we don't have any, I mean, other than Tuvok, we don't see. I'm going to back up for a second. Okay. The majority of the crew is human. The majority of those humans are from Earth. So they're from this post-scarcity society. And even if they weren't, they're a part of Starfleet. And all of the ships are like this. There are no piece of tin falling apart rust buckets in Starfleet. This is like one of the smallest ships we see that actually has like a captain and a helm, etc. Like outside of a shuttlecraft or a runabout. Like the only thing smaller that we ever really see on screen would be the Defiant. Yeah. I mean oh, okay, and well obviously the NXO one, but you know what I'm saying. Um, and the Delta Flyer. Which isn't helmed by a captain. It's a really big shuttlecraft, man. That's... It is at best a runabout. Okay, we do see smaller ships. Uh, there are Small- a couple. There are a couple smaller ships. Smaller than the Defiant. Yes. Really. Mm-hmm. Do they feature prominently with captains we care about? No. There you go. But they do exist. There's um. I give each of us a half point. 
the one that I can think of off the top of my head is the USS Janolin from an episode of TNG. It was a Sydney-class okay. starship. Okay. Hmm. Anyway. But even this, which is you know, the lead ship of a new class... But it's not; it's no different than any other starship that we have, that than we have seen out of the Federation or Starfleet. It's, I mean, you know, even the Defiant, which is smaller, is appointed the same way. The captain's quarters are probably smaller, but it has all the same. I Voyager's probably not the lead ship. I would imagine that there is a USS Intrepid out there somewhere. I thought they had said it was the first ship of its class. That doesn't make any sense. The first ship is always the, at least I believe, always just the, uh, just named after the class. Like, there was a USS Constitution, and a USS Excelsior, and a USS Galaxy. Was there a USS Galaxy? Yes. Why would that have been the first ship of the class if they were always going to make one of them in the Enterprise? I don't know. Maybe, I, I don't know. Anyway. So, okay, they're... They don't actually... The USS Galaxy was ne- is theorized to exist. It was never actually mentioned. Ha. But there was a USS Excelsior and a USS Constitution. Okay. Anyway. So... And obviously a USS Defiant. From, from the Federation's perspective, this is just how life is. Right. It, there's no enjoying it. Because it's just... This is what's expected. This is how... Like, this is how our life is going to work, is that we're going to have high speed and nice wide corridors and holodecks and replicators and shields and 37 now fort photon torpedoes <laughs> and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so, of course, what are we going to do with all this technology at our disposal with which we are comfortable and familiar? Let's use it and explore because that is Starfleet's mission. Yes, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Indeed. I mean, other people have clearly gone there, just not, you know, Starfleet. They haven't gone everywhere. There has been someone somewhere, everywhere. That can't possibly be true. (laughs) It has to be true. There's so many spacefaring species out there in the universe. At some point... You would not believe how mind-pockingly... Big space is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Especially given, like, Neelix knows where all these things are. Neelix has got to run out of knowledge really soon. It's actually a couple seasons before he runs out of knowledge. That's so wrong. He has a, like, crisis of identity when it happens. Okay, so... Well, you know, the Kazon exists for three years, so... Yeah. So later in the episode, Chakotay comes into Janeway's ready room with his medicine bundle. Yes. Which he has apparently never shown to anyone except maybe Balana. So, well, apparently, yes, to Balana, since Balana yeah, tried to kill her like... spirit animal. So this is part of... You remember when we were talking about Journey's End? And I said that they had the advisor who pretended to be Native American and wasn't actually... Oh goodness! Did this per did that person advise on this episode as well? Yeah, on the entirety of Chicote's like Native American heritage stuff. Yes, 
did this advisor also say that the feather is the entire blackbird's wing or raven's wing? I, that I'm not sure. Oh, Chakotay Jac- holds up a feather and says a blackbird's wing. I'm just saying that we can probably take most of what Chakotay says with a grain of salt that it may or may not be actual Native American traditions. I think we can also take it with a grain of salt because it's supposed to be Native American traditions carried forward 400 years into the future. I appreciate that they have the little box to get you high now. That's cool. Yeah, I wanted to... (laughs) (laughs) I feel like part of the unspoken thing was we couldn't petition the Federation to allow the replicator to pump out psychoactive drugs, (laughs) and so instead we had to create this box to do it for us. Right. I like that. I, I mean, you know, you and I both know a person, well, a couple of people, who are advocates, it's a little bit of a strong word, of psychoactives and the potential benefits of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I'm not willing to 100% dismiss them like out of hand or anything like that. No. But seriously, I kind of feel like this was like an invention of necessity rather than like, well, we were tired of using psilocybin and instead we built this box. And it's like, no, no, no. We just like, like it becomes hard to find psilocybin when you're on a starship in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. I think I pronounced that word right. I assume so. I don't think I've ever heard it. It's the it's the chemical inside of uh, shrimps. I I know I, I know the word. I've seen it. I, I I don't know that I've ever actually heard it spoken before. I have, but I couldn't. Like that doesn't help me at all right now. Right. You know how memory works. Or Maybe doesn't. you don't. Your memory's better than mine. I forget things too, man. But you remember that you forgot them. Sometimes. <laughs> how would I know that I always that's, do? That's true. <laughs> so. Uh, Chakotay walks Janeway through her, her, the process with her hand on the, uh, the psychoactive box. Mm-hmm. And her spirit animal, animal was a gecko, right? Gecko? Yeah, it was a lizard of some sort. It looked like a gecko. And before it could sell her any insurance, Bellana bursts in. <laughs> nice. I, okay. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> But yes, Bellana bursts in and Chicote says that she tried to kill her spirit animal, which we've mentioned I've mentioned like three times now and is still funny. It is still funny. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if we're ever gonna have a op- have an opportunity to mention it ever again throughout the rest of the run of oh, the I'll show. Find so a listen way. it. Okay, okay. Good, good. <laughs> so speaking of Chicote's Native American stuff. Yeah. Paris is still racist. Yes. So in the holographic scene at the end, yeah. when he tells, yeah. I'm setting the Indian up for a big hustle. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my god. Why? Mm-hmm. I just... Tom Paris, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, I remember really liking Paris. I feel like that's heavily influenced by the latter three or four seasons of the show. Yeah, it must be. But, like, as a kid, like, I, th- I feel like Paris was the one that I identified with. Well, you were kind of a jerk as a kid. I mean, so was I. So I get it, and that's kind of why I identified with Paris and Tuvok as well. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. So, yeah, I just had to get that out there that Paris is still a racist. Okay, so speaking of you as a kid. <laughs> okay. 
Can you? If we want to keep going with the with the tangents, yeah. Can you imagine Janeway ever muting a human doctor? Oh my god, yes, that... Ah, yeah, I'm with you. Because imagine if it was a human in a hologram who was just rambling on and on. Because maybe they're autistic. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're fabulous at knowing all of the various facts and all the procedures and things of that nature, but they just have no filter. Like, say, the doctor has no filter. Yeah. Can you imagine if he had been human, the, like the captain saying, mute that, I don't need that noise right now, and not turning to them and saying, could you please be quiet, we're trying to concentrate. Or, I mean, more polite yeah. than that, but you know what I'm saying. Like, I... Yeah, no, I'm totally, and th- and that was done sort of as like a comic relief moment too. And I don't know if it, this is something like me being overly sensitive to that sort of stuff, or so. This originally aired February thirteenth, nineteen ninety five. So we're almost exactly twenty three years forward from when this episode originally aired. For those checking their calendar right now, yes, it really does take us this long to edit the episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, it'll only be a couple weeks, but (laughs) I I couldn't resist. (laughs) Hey, man, I'm so much quicker on these. Yeah, you really are. First getting started. Yeah, that's fair. So I I don't know how much of this is just 23 years of progress, of social progress, talking, or my own personal experience and interactions with people talking, or who knows what, but it just, wow, that was just so... And that's not something that... They would do to the doctor in the later seasons. No, because in the later seasons, he's he has a fa- like. They never, it's never quite on the same degree as there because there was that TNG episode where like Data effectively like goes on trial to prove he's a person, right? Mm-hmm. The measure of a man. Thank you. I mean, there's never anything like that in Voyager, largely probably because. That has already taken place in their universe. They never call it out or anything. I don't think they ever directly reference the Doctor against Data. No, and the, there is actually a little bit about this um, when the Doctor publishes a hollow novel. Mm-hmm. Like they talk about whether he has like the legal right to, you know. I remember that. Yeah, that's gonna be a few seasons from now. It's seventh season, I think, because it's oh, once goodness. they have regular contact. Right, with right, Earth right, again. right, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Spoilers. Like, Sorry. <laughs> yeah, the doctor's road to full and proper personhood, uh, first on the ship and then within the Federation as a whole, is very, very long. I liked the doctor's conversation with Torres when she says, maybe we should give you the ability to change your program. Now, there's an interesting concept a hologram that programs himself. What would I do with that ability? Create a family, raise an army. Ooh, what could a hologram raise do? an army? Yes. 
And then, of course, because that is something that they actually do. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I liked later, talking about the Doctor and Torres interactions, was when they unmute the Doctor. Uh, him... He's like, how kind. <laughs> yes. Uh, him saying that, well, Lieutenant Torres already has the answer, and, and she kind of does this, like, thesis statement sort of thing where she just, like, restates what she's trying to say. Well, if it's... Well, I suppose if it's nucleogenic particles... That was super patronizing. Yes. Like, I get that he was trying to, like, get Torres to think on her own or something, but Torres doesn't have that problem. She can think on her own. If the Doctor already knew, he could have just said it. Yes. Well, the Doctor is nothing if not patronizing. That's also true. Yes, but that gets us that gets us back to my earlier point, which is if it had been an actual human who just had terrible, terrible social skills, the captain still would not have said mute the audio. Yep. At a certain point, we'd have had an episode that would have folk that would have had its B or C plot being the captain or someone else being like, "Doctor, you really got st- you really have got to stop being so patronizing." Uh, on uh, TNG, they have that a little with Data in the beginning. Um, okay. But in that instance, they just tell him to stop talking. <laughs> but instead, we have an epi- like, We will have an episode where the captain is talking to Kess about the about the fact that other people have reported that the Doctor yeah. is patronizing. Yeah, and as someone who has no social skills, I, I no one has ever actually muted me. At least, like you might be muting me right now. No one. What exactly? But there definitely have been times where people would just completely ignore me when I would do something like the doctor is doing there. In my own personal defense, I cannot speak for anyone else. Obviously, I ignore a lot of people. You do. So do I. <laughs> what exactly? So speaking of the doctor. Like I was saying earlier, with all of Janeway's, uh, all the times throughout the show that Janeway will just like throw away an opportunity to get the crew home faster. Um, when the doctor first gets activated by Bolana and she brings him the the goo that was mm-hmm. attaching itself to the outside of the ship, um, he's talking about. You know, like, oh, you know, of course, because we're just going to explore everything and never get home. Or I can't remember exactly his exact phrasing, but he made it seem like he was also invested in the process of getting home and the idea of him having a home on Earth or back in the Alpha Quadrant and not. Because I, I feel like from the perspective of personhood, his home is the ship. It's where it it is the like he has a more solid and permanent attachment to that ship than anybody has to even like their hometown or the house they grew up in or anything yeah. like that. And not just because he's a program within the computer, yeah, but because like the, you know, he, when he first appeared, like there was no gray area, like your first few years of your life, Harry Kim excluded (laughs) oh man i almost didn't mention i almost completely (laughs) forgot to talk about that that was weird that was super weird (laughs) and i'm glad that paris like had the kind of called him on a little bit (laughs) yes yeah like this isn't gonna be nearly as great as your memories of the womb but (laughs) 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 but 
for most of us, except Harry, it's like a gray area the first few years of our lives. The doctor, the very first time he's turned on, he has like immediate consciousness, immediate recollection of everything that's ever happened to him. And everything that's ever happened to him has been on board, has been on board Voyager. Voyager is more of a home to him than anybody's home has been to anybody ever. Yeah. Like, the idea that, like, his, like, the writing that they gave Robert Picardo would imply that he's equally invested in the idea of getting back to Earth and the Delta and the Alpha Quadrant is just, is, is ridiculous. Yes. No, I would agree with that. Conversely, later, when he's saying, your ship can interact with these Omicron particles or whatever it is, however exactly you phrase it, he, he said, your ship. Your ship's energy systems are compatible with this life form's Omicron particles, are they not? Uh huh. No, man, it's your ship too. No, I would agree with that. That said, we had a lot of nitpicks, but I did really enjoy this episode. I thought it was a really great, just Star Trek episode, mm-hmm. especially like a great Voyager episode. But I mean, this. This this would have been an e- like uh, would have felt equally at home in Next Generation, yeah. I, th- I think, or even Enterprise, or maybe DS Nine could have done it too. Yeah, DS Nine could have done it. They would have done it with a runabout. Uh, they could have done it. DS Nine has some defiant sci-fi episodes. Yeah, but that's not like. But that's like later. Yeah. Anyway, but you know, it, it, it's like it, it's it's like quintessential Star Trek. Yes. Of, we've come across this anomaly. We're just we're here at this anomaly to get ourselves more coffee. And oops, a daisies, it's a life form, and now we need to fix yeah. what we've done. And this does have the infamous line of, "There's coffee in that nebula." <laughs> yeah, no, I I liked that a lot. That's uh, that's probably one of Janeway's most quoted lines. Really. Yeah, on the internet, like the "There's coffee in that nebula" gif is very com, very uh, popular. Oh, okay, okay. And um, at conventions, uh, Garrett Wong does a very good Kate Mulgrew impression. And <laughs> one of the things he does is he always talks about how there's coffee in that nebula. So he does some kind of impression. Yes, he does some yeah. kind of impression. So if this was like a wackier show, like I, I could maybe see like the Orville playing out the final scene where Janeway walks into what's the name of the place again? Shea Sandrine. Thank you. When Janeway walks into Shea Sandrine, they're like I guess I can see like on the Orville, for example, they're doing a record scratch. Mm, yeah. Which like would have actually been funny. But only if, like, the rest of the thing was a show that didn't take itself too terribly seriously. I did like that she hustled them. Oh, yeah. No, that was great. So that was, actu- that was actually Kate Mulgrew with that shot, too. It was uh, it was not a stunt uh, thing. Okay. Well, I mean, speaking of that, they do show the same two balls going in pockets from two different angles as if it was two different balls, though. Ah. Well. Can't have yeah. everything. I can't remember. Like, I... I... I only recognize the colors. I don't know. I can't remember the num- numbers associated with the colors, but it was like an orange, like a yellow and a blue, or an orange and a blue going in, like orange then blue, and then they cut to another scene where the orange is already in the pocket and the blue follows it in, but from a different uh. angle. Yeah, whatever. Still, I mean, it was like you know three solids in on the on the break. I mean, that's uh, it's pretty solid as it were. 
as it were. And I and again we again with the double entendres, Commander Chicote, your stick. Heh. <laughs> well, I mean, I've got like a bunch of like notes scratched down, but I think I've covered most of them. Yep, we've got uh, Commander Chicote, your stick was my last note. My last was record scratch. All right. All right. Well, take us out. All right. Nice. Was that also a Star Trek reference? Of course not. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, I hope you enjoyed listening to us talk about the cloud today. Uh, we certainly enjoyed talking about it. And if you enjoy this sort of thing of us talking about things and occasionally an episode of a sci-fi show we just watched, uh, you might want to check out our other show, Stargate Weekly, where we are doing basically the same thing, just with Stargate SG-1. Uh, that's at StargateWeekly.com or in your podcast player of choice. Uh, this show is available at DeltaFlyerPod.com or, again, in your podcast player of choice, which you probably already know. Otherwise, how are you listening to us? Magic. And you can find us on Twitter at DeltaFlyerPod or on Facebook at Delta Flyer Podcast. Or if you want to send us an email, especially with the correct pronunciation of things, that would be DeltaFlyerPod at gmail.com. And if you want to follow us personally, I'm on Twitter at Tyrannicus. I am Gamicus on Twitter. Uh, big thanks to Chuck for throwing a review our way on our Facebook page. Yeah. Uh, thank, you know, that was great. Thanks a ton, Chuck. And I think that's pretty much all the ways you can talk to us. Well, that's our show. Yeah. brought this up already on this podcast i'll keep bringing it up <laughs> although i Any can't remember i can't remember now if you brought it up in the past or will have brought it up in the future <laughs> <laughs> which is appropriate given this 